Welcome to Shatter by Rockwell Automation Women in the Field. We're your hosts, Fumi Ige, Carrie Schrock, Kara Parati, and Kira Rust. Kara, how are you? I'm good, Kira. How are you? Good. How was your weekend? My weekend was good. I um I got to go to the beach for about a day and a half ish, uh, which is only about an hour away. So that was super nice to kind of just get out of Philly for a second and you know do something different. So it was nice to kind of relax and do that piece. How about you? Oh, good. Mine was great. I spent the time I was in Seattle. Actually, I was with my best friends from college catching up. Um, seeing how everybody's lives are going and um, eating good seafood. So I'm very happy uh, this week. How long were you there? Um, About a week. I worked remote during the week and then on the weekend, uh, got to spend some extra time with them. Nice. That's uh, the real big benefit to working remote too, right? Is it can be anywhere. Yes, absolutely. But Our guest today is not anywhere. She lives in Denver with me, and we're so excited to have her on the pod today. We have Corinne Pellish. She's a Colorado native, a sustainability advocate, an avid podcaster, and I do mean avid, reader, hiker, biker, and skier. She's lived across the country, owns so many houseplants, and recently adopted a two-year-old black lab mix, Charlie. We love him. She graduated from Colorado State University with a degree in mechanical engineering. Corinne joined Rockwell Automation in 2016 as a part of the global sales training program. Since then, she's taken a variety of different roles within the company and advanced to a global sustainability partnership role. Corinne believes in the empowerment of individuals to make a difference. And that's part of the reason we love her on the Shatter podcast today. We are dying to hear from her about her new-ish role and where she's at in life today. So, Corinne, welcome. Or should we say maybe welcome back, Corinne? (laughs) You you say whatever you want. I'm just honored to be here. (laughs) It's like (laughs) dream come true, ladies. Like, look at y'all thriving. Go Shatter, go. Real full circle. Yes. For those who are newer to Shatter, uh, Corinne used to be one of our our hosts. Yes. Super, super honored to be back um, and excited just to see where you guys continuously take this um, with the amazing platform that exists. We're a little intimidated. She's she's the OG for Shatter. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Kara, we really got to tighten up today. Yeah. Hey, yeah. No pressure. We'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I am an incredible company. So please be yourselves. That's all I want. Yeah. Kira, well, we, Kira, I don't think we Corinne. can do anything else. So you're good. <laughs> <laughs> That's the attitude. I love it. I think, um, well, I think so highly of you. And I think everybody is dying to hear this podcast and really want to start off with you know, I've heard working in sustainability is your dream job. So I want to know how you got here and hear your story from your words. So hear my story. All right. How long do you have? How we got days, (laughs) we got months. What do we need? Just (laughs) kidding. Um, okay. So story. Um, I think I always struggle with story because I go straight to professional story. So I'm going to weave a little bit of professional and then a bit of, um, complexity in with, um, 
kind of the struggle and, and kind of the duality that I felt existed um, within my career and my personal uh, convictions. And so I, you know, Kira, like you mentioned, graduated from Colorado State University, uh, degree in mechanical engineering, didn't really understand kind of where the world would take me, um, kind of knew, you know, maybe I would, I would want to go into some type of more business oriented role, less engineering. And so I ended up at Rockwell, um, joined the sales training program, moved out to Oregon. So became West coaster, um, beautiful area, loved it. Got to spend a lot of time exploring kind of the, the mystical Pacific Northwest that exists in a lot of time in pulp and paper mills, a lot of time in forest products, uh, mills, which are incredibly efficient. Um, so really did a deep dive over there and then, um, found my way over to the East coast. So Kara, shout out to, uh, Pennsylvania. I was on the West yeah. part of Pennsylvania. Um, supporting a lot of other heavy industries. So things like metals, um, a lot of pulp and paper as well. And then a little bit of chemical. So really this, you know, you think about manufacturing, a lot of people think about, um, consumer packaged goods, food and beverage. I always think about beer. Um, but then there's this whole other world of like the heavy, heavy industries aspect that, you know, you're wearing your, um, FR equipment, your fire retardant equipment, your, can't hear each other in the mills. It's, it's just a fascinating, it's a whole other environment. And, um, so that really taught me a lot about, you know, leveraging, um, resources to its fullest, and then also diving into the not so glamorous part of manufacturing. Um, after that, I, I found my way back to Denver, Colorado as a channel account manager, taking care of one of our, uh, large distributor partners who really amplify our, our market presence. And then, um, from there dream job came available dream job being, uh, a role that never existed in the realm of sustainability. And, um, you know, I, I talked with managers in the past about, you know, where do you want to go? What's important to you? And I never had an answer, but I'll tell you when this role came available, I was like, this is it. This is, this is really what I crave, um, in combining a lot of my personal ambitions, making the world a better place with a technology background. So I always struggled throughout my five years in sales with, Hey, I'm just helping the world create more, 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 right. Just consumer-based economy. And does that really, um, jive with who I am as a person? So I really struggled with that. I confided in a, a friend and colleague at the time who I now happen to work with. So I'm very, very lucky to have a wonderful network of, of people. Um, but really when this role came available, it was not the right time. I was uh, told it was too early. Um, and I jumped anyway. And so my, my word of wisdom to everyone out there is I don't think the right time exists. And so, uh, there's a lot of power in following your heart, following your convictions and diving into something that may seem not the right choice for others, but may feel really right to you. So I'm glad to be where I'm at. Yeah. That's an incredible to hear also, because I think, uh, all three of us can say that we've been in similar positions and it's always nice to have, um, a network of, of people who are like, no, sometimes you just got to jump. You just got to do the thing. And, you know, in this case, especially with you as well, it can really end up working out the best. Yeah. And 
sometimes when you jump, it's a cannonball and it's really messy. And sometimes you jump and it's a perfect dive and you get a 10 out of 10 score, but regardless, you got to jump for you because you're the one on that diving board. So, um, there's going to be a lot of opinions people have about your career progression and your career path, but it's yours. So you got to take the reins. Yeah, absolutely. So I think kind of to jump into this dream role and sustainability, uh, I think it's important to kind of level set and explain what sustainable state sustainability is and kind of what that means to you. So, uh, should we all kind of try and define what that means to us? Because as this came up, I was like, do I know right? what a short, succinct way <laughs> to say this is? And I think the answer is no, I, I don't know how to easily define that. And so I think hearing in your words, what that looks like um, would be really useful for. So for me, I think utilizing resources and doing that in a way that is effective and impactful without you know, a negative impact as well. Um, but I don't know that that actually aligns. So I don't know, Kira, Corinne, do you have some additions for that? Yeah. I forgot. I wrote this question in here, to be honest. I, I love it. But I, as a <laughs> child, feels sporadic. The, yeah, it feels sporadic, uh, as a child of the early two thousands, I'm always picturing those Disney channel ads and it's the three R's to me. Um, and I can't even tell you what they are off the top of Reduce, my head. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Thank you. you. Yeah. yeah. I just am constantly trying to figure out how to use old materials into new and upcycle and buy, you know, borrow where you can from your community. Um, so that's what what's invoked in my mind when I think of it. Well, and if I can add to that, uh, I think something that's interesting about that is we've come to a place, I think, where a lot of us have learned that it's so far past um, individual decisions, right? Like those individual decisions make an impact, but there are larger impacts too, right? Uh, globally. So I want to, I want to hear what you have to say about that, Corinne. Too. I'm dying to hear what Corinne has to say. <laughs> so true. I feel so honored. Um, so in three words or less, sustainability means actively hugging trees. Just kidding. <laughs> I got I to gotta throw that in for the naysayers out there. Um, it absolutely has everything to do with the environment. But um, when I really think about what it means in really short essence, what comes to mind for me is within planetary bounds. So are we, are we living within what we have been uh, graced with as resources on this planet? And that's living responsibly. Um, that's producing things responsibly, et cetera. But rather than listen to Karen's definitions, which sometimes are comedic and sometimes are real, um, I do want to define it per the UN or United Nations. So they define sustainability as meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. And I think that's very powerful because I think many generations look at you know, Hey, what do I need now? What do I, um, what, what's in it for me? And then maybe as you, uh, expand your family, then you start to think about the next generation and the next generation, but you may not see the impacts that your decisions have on those later generations. So sustainability really in incorporates the power of how our actions are all intertwined and how consumption is all intertwined as well. So that's poetic. <laughs> 
Well, thank you. I think sustainability has a ring to it. I think that could be a whole poem itself because it's a beautiful concept if we do it right. Um, But being that we are are heavily focused on manufacturing, industrial, um, I do want to put a quick lens on when it means to be uh, a sustainable manufacturer. And so looking at another definition, the US EPA defines sustainable manufacturing as the creation of manufactured products through economically sound processes that minimize negative environmental impacts while conserving energy and natural resources. So again, a lot of a lot of big words, but it's really looking at how do you produce sustainably? What does that mean in terms of energy consumption, in terms of water conservation and waste reduction? To number one, optimize um, profit, but then two, be a good steward to resources around you. And one way that um, organizations really start to look at this is a concept of, quote, ESG, so environmental social governance. And I know we'll get into that a little bit later, but that's kind of gives you the um, framework to how do you see sustainability? What is it um, categorized as publicly, I would say? Yeah, like like almost like how do you make it actionable? Yeah, absolutely. And I threw in a lot of quotes throughout because I'm a quote-driven woman. Um, and so Jane Goodall quoted, you cannot get through a single day without having an impact on the world around you. What you do makes a difference and you have to decide what kind of difference you want to make. So that's that whole idea of it. Yeah, mic drop. I love it. Um, it's the whole idea of we're all intertwined. And Kara, what you decide to do in Philly, though it may feel like a drop in an ocean over there it may impact um, something my great grandkids experience one day. We never know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, it's, it seems obvious that there are so many different lens to view sustainability through, but when you break down the quotes from these important organizations that are tackling um, you know, climate change and sustainability efforts head on, it really puts it into perspective. Mm. I, I'm curious how you, it's obvious you have a lot of passion and love a for little sustainability. Bit. <laughs> First of a all, bit. <laughs> I think we all, I think company-wide, we know that. Kara uh, <laughs> and I certainly know that and we can feel it talking to you even, even over the camera. But how do you possibly begin to translate all your passion and love for sustainability to the corporate world? Um, you know, you mentioned ESG, is that a driver for companies or what does that look like for you? Yes, absolutely. Uh, a driver and it's becoming more and a more of a driver than I think we've ever seen in the past. And so I'll, I'll start from kind of a big macro view and then kind of dive into some of the specifics of how you maybe translate this in a corporate sense. And, and so some of like big trends we're starting to see. And and this comes from Gardner, but this whole idea of um, ESG is becoming a metric that investors are looking at. And so Gardner shares actually that organizations with poor corporate sustainability disclosures may be seen as risky investment propositions. CFOs need a robust framework to integrate ESG standards within the company's financial brand. 85% of investors considered ESG factors in their investments in 2020. So it's, it's absolutely starting to impact basically how we see the market. Um, and so organizations that are making commitments to um, sustainability, making carbon neutral and um, 
net zero goals across their scope one, scope two, and scope three uh, emissions are going to be ranked at different uh, levels by investors as this kind of continuously proliferates through the global market. Um, really quickly, can we pull apart what ESG stands for? Yes, absolutely. So E stands for environmental, um, which really is like, what is the impact on natural resources? What are your emissions? Um, have you actually qualified and quantified your emissions and your impact upstream and downstream, as well as your production itself, and then electricity uh, or energy consumption as well from the grid? Um, S really works on the social side of things. And so what does that mean for workplace safety, diversity, equity, and inclusion? Um, really, how does this play to uh, attracting talent? Uh, do uh, employers bring the right presence and culture to their employees to make sure that there is longevity in, in their organizations? And then even um, G, which is sometimes a little bit harder to categorize. It's, it's a lot around cybersecurity risks, intellectual property, and then it even spans into like ethics and um, compliance issues. And so, you know, if we look at Rockwell uh, standpoint, so yes, we've made commitments for our scope one and scope two, and we're working on our scope three commitments on the environmental or E aspect. On the social side, hey, we have a strong commitment and culture towards diversity, equity, inclusion, which is wonderful. Hey, we don't have all the answers yet, but hey, we, it's important and integral in, in to who Rockwell is as an, as an organization. And then we also really work towards workforce safety, training. How do we really empower the workforce of tomorrow? And then under the G or the governance aspect, you know, a strong Rockwell really prides ourselves on our strong ethical standpoint. And, and um, I think we've been ranked for like 20 some years in a row on one of the most ethical companies in the world, which is a huge honor. And then... Um, what are we doing from a cybersecurity standpoint, whether internally to protect our own trade secrets or to support clients and customers as they go through their own cybersecurity and intellectual property protection work as well? Beautiful. One last point of clarification. Sorry, Kara and I are like in a classroom picking your brain apart. Oh, I love it. Please. You mentioned scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions. I imagine then that fits under the E, but would you mind elaborating before you, you continue? Absolutely. So scope one, scope two, and scope three are classifications essentially of um, greenhouse gas emissions in that um, are emitted into the atmosphere. And that can be from a variety of things. That can be from driving your car to and from Starbucks, maybe. That could be from um, drinking a bubbly, you know, sparkling water um, and thinking about Hey, what went into the process of making this aluminum can? Uh, what went into the process of um, of uh, the sparkling water actually adding carbon dioxide to water to make it bubbles, which we all love? Um, so it's 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 this broad spectrum of things. But to get to the specifics, um, scope one, and this is all based on um, U.S. EPA um, uh, definitions. So scope one. Well, let me define greenhouse gas emissions first. So greenhouse gas emissions, a lot of people say GHG, um, are defined by the EPA as gases that trap heat in the atmosphere. So a lot of people often think about carbon dioxide. They think about, uh, which is carbon dioxide is the most well-known one. Um, but methane, which comes from a variety of things. A lot of people have heard about cow farts and burps. 
the big methane um, um, producer, unfortunately. <laughs> um, nitrous oxide and then fluorinated gases as well. So example, like hydrofluorocarbons. Um, and then so scope one specifically is um, the greenhouse gas emissions that a company makes directly. So within the production environment itself. So if I am a steel manufacturer, the emissions that come from the um, blast furnace itself, that's a scope one emission. Scope two are the greenhouse gas emissions that a company makes indirectly. So if a company leverages energy from the grid to produce that energy from a utility standpoint also releases emissions. So whether that's coal-fired power plant, natural gas, et cetera, there's still emissions related with that aspect. So that really flows into scope two. Scope three is where things get really, really messy and complex. Um, and so this is where you start to really feel how it's kind of like an accordion, you know, you really expand and contract and just like how big uh, kind of emission control and net zero really is going to be for, from a global standpoint. So scope three is all of the emissions indirectly associated with an organization, both upstream and downstream emissions. So like I mentioned earlier, think about that uh, seltzer can. And so the whole process of sourcing every ingredient that went into making the liquid itself, the can itself, the packaging itself, all that upstream process down towards uh, when the consumer has consumed the product and then end of life of the product. So does that can get recycled? Does it end up on the side of the street? So quantifying that is massive. Yeah. Thank you for helping to kind of lay that groundwork of understanding as we continue to talk through these things. Absolutely. I know it can be very complex. So thank you for your clarifying points. Carry on, ma'am. We want more of your poetic <laughs> wisdom now. Enough oh, I could talk forever. I love it. Um, <laughs> So I did want to share, so back to like the macro standpoint, um, I, I really, I like to share the cultural power generations have because we have seen shifts um, as Gen Z millennials that we maybe have not seen um, from pre previous generations on the topic of climate change. And so Deloitte actually just conducted a survey, 2022, this is hot off the press, um, <laughs> um, survey on Gen Z's and millennials. And I just want to read a short excerpt from this survey. So it states that protecting the environment remains a top priority for Gen Z's and millennials. About three quarters of respondents believe the world is at a tipping point in responding to climate change, but less than half are optimistic that efforts to protect the planet will be successful. They, referring to Gen Z and millennials, want businesses and their own employers to do more. Only 18% of Gen Z's and 16% of millennials believe their employers are strongly committed to fighting climate change. Wow. I mean, it's a, if it's a top priority and then we're feeling that lousy about what companies are doing, it means that the passionate people need to feel empowered to drive that change within their own organization, within their own employer, where they're at today. There is huge, huge, huge power that consumers have. So putting your money where your mouth is, um, demanding that your employer takes this seriously and is making commitments and is being transparent with what they're doing in this process 
is how we really are going to translate this into more of a corporate standard. So yes, the investor side of things, the individual and the consumer side of things are absolutely critical. It's the avocado toast of climate yes. change. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. I also like to call it, it's like the, um, uh, you remember back in the day when you could only buy like cow milk and now you can yeah. buy like oh, yeah. cashew <laughs> milk, oat milk, soy <laughs> milk. We were just talking about this in Seattle. Somebody said, ew, cow milk. And I <laughs> just thought to myself, wow, that what an abrupt change. Yeah. What a change. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> well, and I really love talking about this in this platform and from this perspective, right? Because I think also a lot of it and some of the um maybe hopelessness comes from a lack of transparency a lot of the yes. time and and not being able to know or not being given the information of what people are doing. So I'm really glad that we're having this conversation because um, I think it can move more towards that hopefulness instead. Absolutely. And here you speak directly to um, another quote that I love. Um, this, this person, her name is Anne Marie Bono. And she states that we don't need a handful of people doing zero waste perfectly. We need millions of people doing it imperfectly. So if we all have that attitude of, you know, Kira, I think you brought up initially like reduce, reuse, recycle. If, Hey, I'm not going to recycle because what am I going to do? It's a drop in the ocean. Hey, well, if we all have that take, we're not going to drive global change. We need a lot of people to try you don't have to be perfect. We need a lot of people to try. You're never too small, too young to make a difference. Oh, beautiful. And then just the last point to translate to, um, I, I feel so incredibly blessed. Number one, to, to be so passionate and to have the opportunity to work for a technology company, um, that really embraces these hard, complex challenges. And so, um, when I think about the impact for Rockwell and how diving into sustainability, number one is a good business opportunity Two, the right decision. And then three, um, it's just an awesome driver, way to attract talent, et cetera. Like people care about this. And so how do we create that right environment? Um, the intergovernmental panel on climate change or IPCC says that 24% of greenhouse gas emissions were from industry. So that's just industry specific. That doesn't include, you know, to heat and cool buildings, which is also can be industry driven. So there's huge, huge, huge impact that can take place, which is incredible. This podcast episode brought to you by Rockwell Automation Sustainability Solutions. Rockwell Automation offers solutions to help customers manage, report, control, and optimize energy usage in their production processes. With easy to understand dashboards, users can visualize consumption at every level, site, area, line, and even machine, and identify areas to improve and optimize. Smart and scalable, the Factory Talk Energy Manager platform seamlessly collects and integrates energy management data with production, control, and information systems. So, Corinne, uh, I think for our generation, manufacturing isn't really like this glamorous, you know, trendy 
thing to be working with. Um, how do you see that this impacts uh, your role and how does your role impact this perception of manufacturing? Yeah, it's um, it's a great point. I think we're seeing a lot of, uh, I would say, less attraction of new workforce into kind of some of the more legacy industries that maybe haven't upgraded and um, to some of the, you know, even just technology from the early 2000s, you know, sometimes the tech is still in the 80s. And so some of this generation, you know, number one, if it's dirty, if it's grimy, and then if the tech's old, it's just not quite as intriguing. Um, And so I like to think about an analogy that has helped me like bring sustainability into the manufacturing conversation. Um, And that's really like early 2000s. We think about things were going digital, right? The internet was a big thing. And um, I don't know if anyone remembers dial up and that fun noise, you know, whatever. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. We vaguely remember this call, but it was AOL like yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so it was going digital was extremely, extremely disruptive for companies. And of course we saw companies that didn't make that transition. And so I think we're at a, another really neat inflection point where companies that embrace sustainability, which may mean upgrading, um, which may mean kind of revolutionizing the way that business has been traditionally done or something has been traditionally produced is going to be an incredibly disruptive arena. But those that succeed maybe in the next 20, 30, 50, 100 years are going to be those that really embrace this um, kind of this idea of triple bottom line. And so I think that's one way to look at it as being a little bit more trendy is number one, (laughs) if we want to be a species in the coming years, we're going to have to. which I know is a little bit of a divisive statement, but the earth will get to net zero. Uh, It's just a matter of if we're a part of the solution or not. Um, And so I I like to think too, like there's a lot of really innovative things happening that will need to be produced. And so I think a lot of people think about, hey, um, will there be a space for X as disruptive technology comes along? And so you think about things like renewable energy. This comes from World Economic Forum article So um, renewable energy has really disruptive uh, to the coal industry, to the oil and gas industry. We're seeing oil and gas companies become energy providers. Um, Think about the way we consume protein. I know I mentioned earlier the cow farts and burps, right? That's methane. Um, And so we're seeing a a big drive towards plant-based protein, um, even like fermented uh, fungi becoming protein to consume, which is incredible. That was not an industry that existed 20 years ago. Transportation. Think about how the electrical vehicle market and how eventually the fuel cell market is going to really play a big part in transportation moving forward. So there will always be a space for manufacturing, even though disruptive technology is continuously going to uh, change and and bring new things forward. But there's always going to be a space to revolutionize the way things are produced. And so... um, I think I brought up someone I was talking with a colleague a couple of years ago and, and I was like, this idea of, you know, cars are actually a really bad investment because most of their life, they sit idle, um, outside of wherever you live. And then they maybe drive a, a really small percentage of the time, but the majority of the time we are not driving in our vehicles. So imagine a world where 
of your vehicle is shared among a community. That's crazy. That's something we cannot envision. However, there will always be need to be for things to be produced. So manufacturing is kind of that steady line in there. Um, Cause I like to think about people always need things, right? So pet food for little baby, for baby Charlie. Um, I know there's some other pet lovers on the, on the, from the host side of things, but sparkling water um, to stay hydrated. Um, and then whatever must have new tech or new product that's on, you know, these social media apps. And so there's always going to be this need. So how do we revolutionize it to be better, which is kind of the, the big aspect. How do we revolutionize it to be carbon neutral, which is really powerful. And then we think about how Rockwell touches all of those different aspects. There are the traditional large multinational and national accounts. We call them accounts customers today um, who are, who are transitioning their business to maybe get into the seltzer water business maybe to get into the protein or the plant-based protein. So there's going to be those changes. And then there's going to be the startup community. So I think it's going to become more and more trendy. You think about the craft brew industry. We love craft brew in this generation, right? We love craft brew. We love um, wine. We love all some of these other niche things that weren't always a big play um, a couple of years ago. And now we have large corporations purchasing craft brew as one example And Hey, that intrigues us in this generation. So I think there's going to be, there's always going to be a little bit of a hook for the trendiness. And then there's going to be need for change of maybe the slower, uh, adjusting organizations. Yeah, exactly. It seems like we, it's just the lens through which you talk about it. I think our generation is much more in tune with what companies are doing and, and supporting the companies that are more sustainable, um, they maybe just don't think about the manufacturing aspect. So it's talking about that a little bit more too. And that brings us to when we were talking about ESG, environmental, um, social. social and governance, right? Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you mentioned that piqued my interest was triple bottom line. Um, So thinking about all of these different sustainability initiatives and missions under the pretense of people, profit, and planet, which is something everybody can get behind. Um, Can you explain what this means and and how this lens helps you communicate that manufacturing through line, uh, you know, across various companies, personalities, barriers, whatever it takes? Absolutely. Um, So when we say triple bottom line, it's, it's a basically like a business-esque type um, uh, of a philosophy. It's like a concept type thing. So it's not quote tangible, I would say, but I don't think a lot of businesses um, other than profit, right? That's by why we metric based on profit. Bottom line makes, it's a very quantitative type aspect. And so it's like this idea of really looking at the social, the environmental, and the financial results of a company truly equating to what does that mean for success? And so if a company just has skyrocketing profits, but they don't um, live, uh, produce within their bounds, and maybe they don't have the best track record with um, safety, uh, they're not attracting new talent, is that company, should they be at such a high ranking in the market? Or are we trying to look at a more holistic point of view of, hey, yes, a company is profitable, 
Uh, yes, they have a wonderful culture. People are continuously wanting to uh, bring their friends and family to work there. Yes, they um, are producing more with less in the right way. Should they be ranked in a different way? And so really looking at, at what that means from a broader impact and for, um, you know, the regular Janes of the world like us, um, you know, bottom line is great, but it really hits that business and corporate leader point of view, uh, which kind of misses the mark with um, the, the regular folks of the world. And so the social aspect and the environmental aspect of the triple bottom line, it's a huge impact to the communities in which we all live and work. Um, the communities in which we live and how that is impacting um, our water supply, for example. And so some of the examples I really like to think about when it comes to triple bottom line and why this uh, concept is really powerful for businesses, employees, uh, communities come down to a couple different areas. And so one example is um, this idea of creating a safe work environment. And so at Rockwell, we like to use the term, um, you can bring your full best self to work. Um, uh, so you can and want to show up in that way, which is awesome. I love it. And that is really critical for employee retention and attraction. Um, and so safe can refer to physical safety. So if you're a manufacturing associate, do you feel safe in doing your job? Are you equipped with the right personal protective equipment in order to, um, know that you're going to walk out of that job with all of your limbs and all of your digits. Um, that's really important. And then also, are you psychologically safe, right? Do you feel like you can be your full self at work? Do you feel that you are part of an environment that um, wants you to speak your mind and wants you to bring your flaws and your amazing parts to work every day? Cause life's messy. So that really is a big impact and in, in something ta uh, less tangible, especially with like great um, resignation happening and some of those aspects, right? It's really important that we are providing the right culture for um, uh, our workforce to be in. And that is one way to look at it. Another is um, reducing energy consumption. So a lot of what we talk about in sustainability is energy, water, and waste. And so when we think about, hey, pff, is sustainability even really good for business? Hey, well, if I reduce my energy consumption of my operation, that is a direct correlation to greenhouse gas emission um, into the atmosphere. Oh, and by the way, I happen to save money because energy costs me money. And so it's, it's absolutely this play of if I'm going to produce less emissions, I'm going to save money. Sounds pretty darn good to me. So BlackRock, which is an investment firm, um, actually did a study that showed that 81% of a globally representative selection of purpose-driven companies with better ESG profiles outperformed their counterparts in 2020, despite a market downturn. So it's good for business. It's interesting to, to see, I think that we've probably felt and seen, um, you know, the social aspect of triple bottom line. And I feel like that's been a large conversation for at least us as a group, but it's also great to see that be intertwined with this um, sustainability piece mm -hmm. of it. And the idea that you really do need to start working towards that to be able to, you know, 
be seen in the market. I think that a lot of people are starting to see the ways that uh, companies treat their employees and be like, no, wait, that's not okay. I don't want to work there even if I'm fine or or right. otherwise. And I, right. I'm hopeful and think that sustainability and in, in these pieces of it are the next big part of that. Absolutely. Um, kind of with that, as we take it away from the Rockwell lens of things, um, climate change is a critical mission and kind of this large global effort. Um, how do we fit into that ecosystem and what does it look like for us to roadmap, you know, success and maximum impact in sustainability? Ooh, I love, this is like my favorite part because it's so big, so complex, so messy, so gray, and it's going to take every company every country, every technology, and it's going to take everyone coming together in a way that the globe has never seen before. And so this really, it it gives me chills a bit when I think about um, where we could go. And then it also gives me like, like anxiety to be like, oh, we're going to do it. You know, like, can we? Um, And so it's, it's a very overwhelming feeling. I think when we talk about this on the, on the big, big global scale, um, but the ecosystem really is everything. And so a lot of the times conversations that, that are happening, whether it's in big organizations, alliances, memberships, think tanks, uh, startups, it's all around how do we, for once in a business culture, be vulnerable I do like to give my shout out to Brene Brown. I know we got some fans in the house. Um, being vulnerable is everything. And so I think we've experienced that, you know, with the Brene Brown amazing TED talk that came out a number of years ago with ourselves as individuals and what that means to, to be open and vulnerable. But to solve broad sustainability challenges and these global climate <laughs> risks that are affecting everyone. Companies need to share where they have excelled, where they have fallen short, where they have seen success, where they have um, made massive improvements that could be more tangible elsewhere. It is, it is a very uh, important aspect and one that is not traditional to business, right? So it's like, no, 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 I'm doing great. I, pff, hey, see my numbers? Profits, great. Like an organic great growth, great. Organic growth, great. You know, it's like, It's going to be a whole new level of coordination, collaboration, and this openness of how do we do this together? So uh, there is a team actually that, or an organization that my my internal team works with pretty frequently, and and they're uh, really heavily committed to sustainability. And they have shared with us that they do not plan to keep any of the intellectual property that they uh, create during their sustainability efforts, if it can benefit the larger world. And so any breakthroughs, I mean, of course, they're going to keep trade secrets, et cetera, you know, recipes management, of course, but do they solve something that can help others accelerate the process? And so one thing that we think about is Tesla, right? I know Elon Musk can be a little bit of a divisive figure, but his work at Tesla in his open source patent work has enabled the acceleration of EV um, automotive development at a new rate. 
So this level of open source, um, I know it's about making money, but it's also about saving our species and our earth. And what are we going to do to really drive new (laughs) efforts here that we haven't seen in the past? And um, something that I like to share, it it hit me hard actually this this past spring is I I recently um, attended a certificate course at University of Cambridge. Um, I think the formal title is University of Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership in Business and Climate Change with a focus towards net zero emissions. And one of the things that came up in that program was it takes everyone in their existing roles. So because this is such a big, global, complex problem, Kira, you have different skills in your current role than I have. Kara, same for you. And so if I'm looking at an organization that, I don't know, makes uh, laundry detergent, hey, I'm not a laundry detergent expert. I don't understand how changing what may feel like small aspects of a recipe or of um, ingredient lists or chemical interactions may impact scope one, scope two, or scope three emissions, but you might. And so how do we empower people in where they're at to um, innovate, to drive this culture of you have just an important of a voice based on your experience, your background, the position you're in to drive this change rather than Hey, I am a business leader and I know the answers to this because I know how to make money. You know, it's it's a different vibe of no, hey, I don't know how that works because that takes an intricate level of knowledge that I may not have because I didn't have that experience. So I really like to um empower people to to lean in where they're at because we need we need the people who are um basically leveraging the laundry detergent. We need the people who are inventing the next generation of laundry detergent. And then we need the chemists behind this. You know what? We need them all. And that's just one thread of a tapestry. So well said. Um, as a, as a cat mom wondering if you have any advice for Brad, the cat to stop flushing the toilet 10 times a day, maybe that'd be a good contribution. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but actually, thank you so much, uh, Corinne, for taking the time to join us today. Wonderful conversation um, and something that is top of mind for a lot of people, but a lot of people don't have the expertise or the time maybe to break down what it means. So I think this has been really, really valuable and you've given us a lot to think about. Are there any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? Yes. I have a bazillion. Just kidding. I will, I will, I will Rapid leave fire. It. <laughs> yeah. I will leave it though. So people feel as if they, if they want to continuous, uh, basically continue their learning that they've got some avenues to do so. And then also maybe some, um, other aspects as well. So one, I know it was mentioned in my bio, big podcaster, one of my favorite things, podcasts, audiobooks, et cetera. Um, there's been a couple that have been really important in my own personal education. Uh, so one being the interchange to the indisposable podcast and three energy gang, you can find those on any broad streaming pro- uh, platform. And then for books, whether you choose to, uh, visually read or audibly learn, um, Bill Gates, how to avoid a climate disaster is fantastic. It breaks things down very, very, um, palatable, um, snippets because it's a very big challenge ahead of us. And it really breaks things down simply. And then, uh, Adam Grant, think again, and a big fan of this book, just as we learn to iterate and resolve problems and look at things differently. I think it's a really important mindset. Um, 
for individuals, get involved locally. Uh, if, if you care, go do something. Um, learn about what the, the local recycling requirements are for your community. Call your, your waste management provider. Some, some recyclers take glass, some don't. Um, it's more important to uh, learn so that you can make an educated decision rather than, than guessing. Um, and then remember, consumers have power. Um, so if sustainability is something that you hold near and dear, uh, you know, put your money where your, your heart is and, um, but also be uh, wary of greenwashing. Don't just buy if it says eco on it or has a green leaf, it may not, it may be misleading. And then consistently keep learning, challenge yourself. Um, it's, it's going to take people who, uh, talk about sustainability, talk about green living, talk about things that will make an impact on a global standpoint. And then as a as a regional, local, personal standpoint as well. Um, if you are in the automation industrial business, um, Rockwell Automation has a free conference annually and sustainability is a big focus this year of our own. Um, so come learn at Automation Fair in Chicago in November. And um, uh, I think this whole team will be there. So you can come meet some wannabe celebrities. Wow. Just kidding. I don't want to be a celebrity. Um, please no. Yeah, please. Absolutely not. Um, but I do want to leave you with one quote. It's a quote that's motivated me through most of my life. Um, and one that I find very, very, very empowering. It's by mother Teresa. And she said, uh, I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the waters to create many ripples. So thank you all for having me. <laughs>